0: Welcome to The How of Business with your host, Henry Lopez. The podcast
1: that helps you start, run, and grow your small business. And now, here is your host. This is Henry Lopez. Welcome to The How of Business. My guest today is Amy Van Miel. Amy, welcome to the show.
0: Hi there. Thanks so much for having me.
1: I'm looking forward to this conversation. Amy is a real business owner, small business owner. What I mean by real is that she's going to share with us a lot of her experiences with starting a small business, a, a one-person operation, and how she's gone about from launching to growing that business to where she's at today. So we're going to chat about Amy's entrepreneurial journey. If you want to receive more information about the Howa business, including links to the show notes page for this episode, just text the word biz, B-I-Z, to 31996. So Amy Van Meel, Van Meel. I knew I was going to stumble on that. <laughs> Amy Van Meel. She's an entrepreneur and the founder of Dutch Touch Interiors, which is a successful interior design business. She's also a podcaster, and her show is called "Dare to Begin Small and Mighty." I've listened to it on iTunes, but you can find that anywhere you can find a podcast. Uh, Amy started her interior design business at virtually the same time that the oil market collapsed in her city of Calgary, Alberta. And despite that timing, and this is a big issue because everybody always asks, what is a good time to start a business? But despite that, Amy knew in her heart that it was the right move to make. And so now nearly five years later, her interior design business is not only growing strong, and and even though her local market is still in a depressed state relative to the the issues with the uh, oil industry. Uh, Now, Amy is is taking all that she has learned and growing a profitable business and and a service-based business, and even in a down economy, and she's created courses under her second business, which is called Dare to Begin. So Dare to Begin helps others build, launch, and grow their profitable small businesses, no matter their economy or uh, the business know-how that you may or may not have. As you might suspect, Amy lives in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. And so once again, Amy Van Miel, welcome to the show.
0: Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here.
1: Absolutely. Looking forward to it. It's always great to speak with and, and get the insights and experiences of another small business owner. Yes. Um, as I was doing the research, I believe you studied interior design at university. Is that right? That is correct. So what were you thinking back then, Amy? What Did you aspire to have your own uh, agency or design firm or whatever it is the right term? Or what, what did you envision you were going to do after school?
0: So it's it's a great question. The funny thing is when I first applied for university, I didn't have an eye on interior design. It wasn't hmm. until someone close to me suggested that maybe I wanted to apply to design because I had been doing it naturally. When I was in university going through the faculty of architecture and, and mostly just surviving. I, the only thing I remember thinking in university is please just let me make it through this. <laughs> and then afterwards, um, there were moments, especially when I was focused on like the interior design focus, cause we did a, a year where we're focused on our specific trade that we wanted to do. Um, where we were speaking with someone who was in the industry and she, I, I don't think I'll ever forget this. She said, um, you'll get paid $400 an hour to go shopping with someone to buy their <laughs> furniture. And I'm like, that's it. I'm Thank in, <laughs> I will take it. Like I love to source things. I love to be out with people and to be able to get paid to do that. So I'm like, okay. But it took a little bit afterwards. I think it was in the back of my mind that I wanted to start my own business, but there wasn't like this driving force when I was in university by any means that I was like, I'm going to do this. And then I'm going to, I'm going to start it on my own. That wasn't interesting. That wasn't the first thing in my mind.
1: If, if I got it right, I think I heard you say in one an episode that your parents are entrepreneurs. Is that correct?
0: That is correct. They are both entrepreneurs.
1: So what, what do you think that influence had on you? I mean, and the reason I ask this is I've heard two extremes. Sometimes the children of business owners only see the negative, the stress, the, you know, the problems. And so they're like, I, I'd never want any of that. What, what were your impressions growing up as they were business owners?
0: So that's a great question. And it's actually, I would say, both sides of it. So, my parents immigrated from the Netherlands and they started as farmers. And then, when I was probably about 10 or 11, they began a long haul trucking company. Huh. When my parents later divorced, separated, and divorced, my dad continued with the trucking company, continued building it. My mom actually became an accountant and then started her own business. So, growing up, I watched how hard my parents worked and how they were always in the office. They were always stressed about money. They were always, you know, like they they just never seemed to be any good. So that experience could definitely have left me going, you have to be some kind of crazy to be an entrepreneur. But what it actually showed me was that that was the kind of entrepreneur I didn't want to become, Mm -hmm. that I, I wanted to make sure that When I got to the point of realizing that I wanted to have my own business, that I was not going to build myself a business that I was a slave to, that I would make sure that I booked and built time freedom in my business right from the start. Because Mm. once you begin a habit, it's incredibly difficult to change it. And if you have this mindset that you need to work 24 seven, that's a, that's a deep ingrained mindset that takes a lot to overcome to be able to change that.
1: Yeah. No, okay. Now,
0: the other side of it is, um, and, and I don't, the funny thing is, is thinking about this today, I actually don't know if my siblings got this at all, but I remember my dad often saying to me when I was in my teens and in my twenties that, you know, Amy, you should just go, go out and hang out your own shingle. Stop mm-hmm. working for somebody else. Go out and, and hang out your own shingle. And I have no idea if he ever said that to any of my siblings, but I remember that coming through often. And I think that was sort of, you know, there's a moment where you're just like, oh dad you know i'll i'll get there but mm-hmm. yeah it was just it was that encouragement that it's possible that it that i can do that and so as the drive to be my own boss began to build in me i knew that both my parents would support it and in fact there was a conversation i had with my mom a few years ago where i'm sure i was in tears and like oh my god mom what am i doing like i must be some kind of crazy be doing this and she said it's no surprise that you're an entrepreneur. Both of your parents are entrepreneurs. Just like, it's in your blood.
1: But <laughs> so what did, what did they like, see okay. in you? And what, what did your dad, do you think, saw in you that, because you think he may have said it to you and not to your siblings, what, what did he see in you that he thought you would make a good business owner?
0: Mm, good question. I think, so what I have realized over the years is that I – I observe a lot. So I think at the time that he was saying this, he would hear me observing what was happening in the various jobs that I had and wondering why things were run that way, why clients were being treated that way, why, you know, whether it was the good or the bad, why would a business do things this way? And so without realizing it, I think I was already practicing some of those entrepreneur skills, that idea of like, well, so this is how they're doing it, but couldn't we do it better? Mm-hmm. Couldn't we make it, you know, do something better for our clients or, or have a better process or, you know, what have you? So I think that's probably what he saw, the fact that I was already, not knowing that I was doing it, but already observing what was happening in these businesses and going, well, we could do this a lot better.
1: Yeah, yeah, he, he saw that curiosity, I guess, that you, you've always had, about mm. how things work or why people do things a certain way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. So, so then after college, you did go work for someone else. Is that right? Correct. And how long did you do that before before you started your first business?
0: So they actually started somewhat simultaneously. After university, I uh, took a job with a uh, high end lighting retailer. So I was working sales on the floor, and the beauty of it was because it was lighting, it was using all of my interior design skills and talents that I had built over the years. How the first business started, and you know, it's so funny, as I was looking back, I I was like, oh yeah, actually this, you know, Dare to Begin would actually be my third business, because the Mm -hmm. first one was MAC Design. How it started was I had a client that came into the store one day, and she was building a brand new home, and she wanted to, when she found out that I was a designer, she said, could you please come to my home and help me make sure that like, all the, picture, all the things that we've selected will work where we think they're going to work. Um, you know, go over any last selections that she had, would that be possible? So I had to run that by my boss at the time, because obviously, you know, we, we didn't just go out to people's homes at this time. And my boss said, if you want to go out, you can, but you need to make sure that it's very clear that you're going on your own and that you're not going as a representative of the store. Hmm. So I, you know, let that, let the client know. And, and, I mean, I'd n- never done anything like this before. And I mean, talk about blessed right from the beginning. So I went out, I was, I spent several hours at this woman's home, found out while I was there that she was actually the owner of her own transport company. <laughs> and I finished the session having no idea, you know, how does this work? What goes next? And she said, okay, send me, email me an invoice and I'll write you a check. And I liked, I remember driving <laughs> home going. I have to put together an invoice, but yeah. like, how, I don't know how to do that. So I went home and this is where my mom being an accountant really helped out. I said, mom, I don't know, but I need to build an invoice. And I don't even know what I'm supposed to charge. And so we put something together. I sent it off and I'll never forget this. She sent it back. She said, you need to charge me more <laughs> and you need to charge for travel. And I was dumbfounded. Like people do that? And so, so I did. So I charged for travel and I, and I raised the rates. And I, I don't even remember what that first time was. And I'm sure even when I sent it back, she's like, oh, this girl needs to like raise her rates even more. But that was the first time that I actually like even thought about you know, what would a business look like and how would I operate this? And so um, MAC Design or MAC Design was basically the the business under which I operated to do any kind of design consultations. Mm -hmm. Over the years, I had different jobs and I had to know there was one job in particular that I was not allowed to do any design work because the job was doing design work. So for about 18 months, I wasn't doing any of it on the side. But then whenever I'd have a new job, I would ask ahead of time and make sure there was no conflict of interest so that I could continue building it. And then when I moved to Calgary, actually... Um, MAC design un- unofficially closed because as I was getting ready to launch the design business here, I realized that there was a conflict of interest with the name. And that's actually how Dutch Touch Interiors was
1: born. I see. Mm-hmm. All right, so then where, how do you get to the point where you decide, I don't want to do this as a side hustle anymore. I want to do this as the full-time thing. Walk me through what led to that.
0: So I moved to Calgary to be with my boyfriend. And when I moved here, I moved away from a a full-time job where I was making a very good salary and walking into no job at all. When I got here about three weeks after I got here, I finally got a a part-time job at a design shop that I was driving like 25 minutes a day to there and then 25 minutes home to go to this job. I wasn't valued. I wasn't enjoying it. I wasn't using like the skills that I had. I was supposed to be booking design sessions, but I couldn't get out of the store to go do them. And about six months in, I'm like, what the heck am I doing here? Like, this is such a waste of my time. And I I remember distinctly, I had, it was three o'clock in the afternoon, I was supposed to go into work the next day, I had everything planned out to be there, I'd done all my work ahead of time. And I get a text message from the manager saying, please don't come in tomorrow, we're not busy enough, and we'll (laughs) just dock your next paycheck. And cause they had paid it in advance for those two or three days and I was full on tears. I called my boyfriend and I said, what am I doing? Like, I'm not doing what I should be doing. I'm not serving clients, how clients should be served. And I'm obviously not valued for being there. Like I, I could do way better if I just started off and did this on my own. And he's like, I think you should. Hmm. And I'm like, uh, can we have this conversation <laughs> when you get home? Because I feel like maybe now is not the best time to make that decision.
1: <laughs> so, where were you at that point in time? What did your personal finances look like?
0: They were tough because I had moved to Calgary, spent a lot of money to make the move. I had moved away from a job where I was making a really good salary to a job where I was making far less and then part-time. So it was barely making um, any money at all. And here's the beauty of it. when I, When I finally made the decision that It was time to start the business that I was wasting my time at this job. I had, there was, there was an event, a special event that this business was holding. And I had looked at like the labor laws and how much notice that I need to give, et cetera. And the day following the event, I had my resignation all ready. I was like getting myself ready that I would speak to them at the end of the day and say, you know, I think it's just time for me to move on. And literally at the beginning of the day, the owner sat down with me and they said, Amy, we love having you here. You're really good at what you do. We love how you interact with clients, but we're just not busy enough to have another designer. And, mm. you know, we're really sorry, but we have to let you go. And I have ne- I have never ever been let go where I wanted to like jump up and down and celebrate because I'm like. Oh my goodness. Like this, you have no idea how in alignment this is. So I felt like the time I had to be like, okay, it's, it's going to be okay. I'm just going to go celebrate in the closet later by myself. <laughs> but what the beauty of what that did, it was, it was, and that's why I say like, I knew that it was going to work because it just was this perfect alignment that literally the same day I was going to give them my notice. I was let go. And then being let go, it allowed me to then claim in, employment insurance. Right. Now I didn't have a lot because I'd only worked six months and they had this, the government had this whole thing. They wouldn't use my job from before, but it did give me four months of employment insurance, which was just enough to sort of mm-hmm. get me going. It yeah. didn't didn't do a lot, but it did sort of cover my expenses for a couple of months so I could get going on the business.
1: How long before you landed your first client then under under the new business?
0: So what I love in the summertime i started dutch touch in uh november in the summertime a dear friend of my boyfriend was over visiting us and she wanted some help with her home i said well anytime you want help i can book a session she says i'm not hiring you while you work for this other company but as soon as you start your own business i'll hire you and i don't even think i talked about starting my own business yet like i don't (laughs) even think that conversation happened and i'm like okay so i you know got laid off from my job and, and started the business and called her up and said, okay, well, it's official. I'm now, I'm, I'm now an entrepreneur. Here I go. And she's like, great. And so like, I don't remember how long afterwards, I think we started on her project, maybe December or January. Um, but that was the very first client. And she's been, she's been my longest client. She's referred lots of work back to me as well.
1: So I get one of the advantages of this kind of business is there's not it's not capital intensive. You didn't have to go open a a store. Uh, mm-hmm. You probably didn't need much in the way of supplies. So, but tell me a little bit about how how much money ballpark that are we talking about that you needed to invest to get started?
0: So to get started, you're right because I op- so the business operates out of my home and I meet with clients in their home or I might meet with them at a supplier for looking I for see. tile, carpet, etc. Mm-hmm. So the overhead that I actually needed was very low. I needed a, a new computer and I needed to have a drawing program. And there was maybe a few other things that I needed, like some, some office supplies, but nothing big. So I think my startup, including like my website fees and everything, was probably in around $5,000. I would do a rough guess. Just based and where, on did that, where
1: did that money come from?
0: That came all out of my personal bank account.
1: Okay, so you had this savings enough to cover that, The uh, we call it workers comp, I forget what you called it here. there, that employment insurance covered a little bit as well to help you get through those three or four months, and mm-hmm. that's how you funded the startup, is that right?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, and then how long before, you know, it's always hard to calculate, and maybe you weren't tracking it back then, but how long before you were cash flow positive? In other words, what you were bringing in in, in billings every month was greater than your your fixed and and variable expenses? How long before that happened?
0: So it's been, um, I actually went over my numbers for the last five years in detail about two months ago. And it's been this up and down wave. The first year um, operated at a loss, which is not to be surprising. Um, It was the second year before I became profitable. And there was, there was a a crazy situation that happened that that still sometimes like blows my mind that it happened in 18 months of having my business where I was sitting in front of a judge trying to get paid for a project. Wow. But out of that situation, um, I developed it, it. So what it kind of did is it took the naivete off of me. It hmm. It moved me from the place of like this is my business and I'm so proud of it. And it's deeply emotional. It's very personal to me to go, Amy, you need to look at this as a business. Yes. You can serve your clients with heart and yes, you still want to be, you know, personable, but if you, if you soak your heart and soul into it and you don't pay attention to what's going on and you don't protect yourself, then you're going to meet people like this who are just going to go run over you like a freight train. And so out of that situation, I actually created, um, a a strategy that I now have like a fixed project scope for clients when we're doing um, projects and that change is literally what, so as I've looked over everything, it was that change that turned the business from really struggling to being profitable. Now I do want to say it's not been a cakewalk since then. Um, And like my third year, operated at a loss again, but I invested a ton of money into my business in the third year. Okay. And then the fourth year had more profits again.
1: So I want to go back to a couple of things that, that defining the scope is, is I got to think maybe, is that, is that something that's critical to this type of work or otherwise you can get taken advantage of by the client because, Oh love, what about this? Or what about this? And you're going to help me with this. And that they assume that's part of what they paid you for. Was that part of the challenge?
0: So the challenge with this particular client was up until this point, I'd only ever charged for the hours of time that I worked. So I would just track my time and then bill every two weeks. And that seemed to work out. Okay. I was very clear with it. I was pretty good at estimating how much time would be required. And if a client then said, Oh, we also want to do this. Then I was always good about letting them know ahead of time. There's going to be an added cost. This client in particular wanted a fixed cost out at the beginning And then, of course, after I gave them the cost, negotiated the cost down, which was the first thing that should have, you know, put something off my head saying there's something wrong here. Right. But when I look at this, so we call it scope creep in construction. Mm -hmm. It's called scope creep where, you know. Someone they say they want to do their kitchen, and then they're like, "Oh, could you just help me look at the bathroom?" And "Oh, could you just help me look at the living room?" And and so all of a sudden, the scope of work creeps out. And if you're not clear with your clients, then all of a sudden you're doing a ton of work for free. Right. What I have found, and what I teach in uh, the programs that I offer, and in the podcast when I have episodes about profits, is that no matter what service you're offering. You could have the exact same strategy because what here's the beauty of what it is that I do, even though it has a fixed scope of work based on interior design. So we're only doing you know this kinds of drawings or these kinds of selections. What it does is it gives a very clear expectation of what the client can expect. Mm-hmm. So, no matter what your service is, And in the examples I often use, I'll use examples like massage therapists or chiropractors. The beauty of it is that you give a fixed price for the client so they know exactly how much they're in for. And then they know exactly what to expect out of it. So it could, in truth, you probably could apply it to products. Products are a little bit different, but when it comes to services, the same kind of thing um, can be possible. I know I had to go to a chiropractor a few years ago, and there's no guarantee, right? I mean, if you have a health issue, there's no guarantee how many sessions it would be, but if you, could, if you could put together something for a client that said, in six sessions, these are the things we're going to work on, these are the results that, you know, statistically seem to come out, and here's where you can reasonably expect yourself to be after six sessions, and here's the price. It just takes a lot of that uncertainty away. It takes away the idea of like, I'm just gonna be seeing this person forever, and I'm never going to get better. Now, all of a sudden, when you, when you put it together like that, and you give a client a goal, an outcome that, you know, is in alignment with what they want, it's, it makes it so much easier for the clients to say yes.
1: Yeah, I know. There's a clear definition of value and in the exchange. And again, using the example of the chiropractor, I just, I just got done with, uh, just like you described, a, a, a scope of X number of sessions with you know, some kind of outcome defined. Otherwise the other thing that can happen, which I'm sure happens to you, is if you don't define that, then I'm left kind of thinking, well, um, I, I can ask for more. I, I need Amy to come back over because mm-hmm. it really wasn't clearly defined what the scope was that I paid for. So that's critical mm-hmm. there. I want to go back to in year one when you did suffer the loss. How did you fund that? Where did that money come from to carry you through that first year? Or was that part of the five thousand that you? Mentioned?
0: No, no. So that occurred um, about ten months. About ten months in is when I actually had the financial loss. It was eighteen months before I actually sat in front of a judge and finally got some money out of it. So um, having parents as entrepreneurs was very beneficial because there was many tear-filled conversations with both my parents <laughs> going. You know, I don't understand how somebody could do this. Like, why would somebody think that this is okay? And my dad actually did loan me some money at the time to help me get over it because it was a huge, it was a huge hit. And and the thing is, it wasn't just a, a hit financially, but it was an enormous hit to me personally, um, which took me out of the game for a while. It, it really mm-hmm. took me out, and it made me skittish for a little bit. Like I said, I I developed a strategy out of it that's that's been incredibly powerful for my business. But that's but not the case. This, to say this, that one, it was like this one
1: situation really derailed you for a while then. It yeah. Like. yeah. yeah. Right, uh, uh, you borrowed money from your parents, which is very common. I'm always curious as to how you structured that so that it didn't create or didn't potentially create a problem down the road. Did you structure it as a loan? Was it a gift? How did you put that together? Hmm.
0: So, yeah, I see it as a loan. Um, there was, to be honest, there was no structure around it. It was just, my dad said, you need some help here. Let me help you out. I've sent you a check in the mail. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And and do you, so you see it as you'll pay him back eventually, or it might've just been a gift and that's fine. There's no, there's no right or wrong way. I just, what I find sometimes is to avoid that becoming, uh, something that's unsaid and becomes a, a friction point. Mm-hmm. That what I recommend to people is that you do define that and you're clear, okay, I'm going to pay you back in X years, or you're going to get X percentage of the profits or whatever it might be. So that's why I was asking that question. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I
0: think it's, you're right. It is very important to be clear about it, especially if money is a, I think money is a loaded of topic for anybody. Absolutely. Um, for, so I've always seen it as a loan. And even though I haven't paid it back yet, I, it will get paid back and I will pay it back with interest. So the way I look at it is, you know, maybe you can look at it as an investment in a way, Mm -hmm. but for me, it's about, yeah, for for me, it's about, you know, making it, it at the end of the day, I need to take care of my own and whether I got help from them or not, it's still important for me to honor the help and to, and to give it back to them so they could give it to somebody else if they wanted Sure. So, absolutely. Yeah.
1: Absolutely. Oh, one more question back to the startup. As you were planning the business, uh, tell me about that process that you put together a business plan that you put together financial projections. What did that process look like?
0: I love that question. I had no business plan. I had no, I didn't have a hot clue in a snowstorm, how to put together any kind of financial projections I had, I talked about it with my parents. I talked about it with um, a good friend of ours had an MBA and he sort of walked me through building a business plan, but I never actually really actioned on the business plan. And when I started, all I knew was that I wanted to serve clients better. I was watching what was happening with homeowners spending tens of thousands of dollars on their home, having projects that they you know, we're okay with or stuff in their home that they didn't even like. And I went, Oh my gosh, like these people aren't being served. So that's how I started. And then to be honest, because I had no business training at all, I didn't, I didn't have a clue what to do. My first three weeks I spent like repainting my office and making, I was the perfect 1950s housewife for about three weeks. (laughs) I made sure the dishes were done and the laundry was done. The house was clean. The dinner was ready when my guy came home from work. And about three weeks in, God bless this man, he's so good. He said to me, Amy, your job is not to make sure that you know, the house is clean and the, the dinner's ready. Your job is to build your business. Mm-hmm. So you need to just build your business. But what I wasn't willing to admit to him or myself at that point was, I don't know what to do. Right. And so at that point I went in and said, okay, I gotta start somewhere. So let's, you know, let's just start. And I, I started by going, okay, Let's start with the the most simple thing I could think about, which was to establish a business name. What is that going to be? What do I have to do to actually make it legal? What is it, you know, do I have to get licenses and all those kinds of things? And that's where I drew on some of the knowledge and expertise from my parents. Um, And then I, and then I built as I went and it took, you know, it was a little step here and a little step there and a little step there. And then about, I think four or five months in, I joined a a business education, a training program that was intended. It was a two-year program that would actually teach us how to build a business. So that fleshed out a lot of the other parts that I didn't know. Um, The challenge that I found with that business program, first of all, it was an enormous cost. So it was a $12,000 program, which when I signed up and went, you know, it was sort of a Hail Mary. Please let this money come in as the business continues to grow. But more than that, what I found is that a lot of the stuff that was in the program was not actionable or cost effective for a solopreneur. Mm. That it required either an enormous amount of time that I just didn't have being the only person building it, or it required enormous financial investment, which again, you know, I'm the only one bringing the money in, and there are more things than just. Paying for my marketing, I need to, you know, pay for my car and pay for insurance and things like that. Right. So, um, yeah. So that it's it's messy. It's it's kind of the perfect example of I think most solopreneurs start. They're just like, I've been reading the E Myth by Michael Gerber, and he talks about technicians having an entrepreneurial seizure, and that's kind of what it is. That when I started, I went, okay, I don't have a hot clue what to do, but let's just start. Yeah. And I'll and I'll start researching and and you know do what I can with what I know and keep looking for more.
1: What, what kept you going, Amy, through those hard times, through that year lost, and then the, you know, the situation with that client that went wrong and uh, the shortage of money and stumbling through all of these things? What, what kept you going forward and not saying, you know what, let me just go find another job?
0: The belief that it was absolutely going to be a success.
1: And why was that so important to you? What, what is the success that now you've realized? What does it do for you? What is it that you enjoy about it?
0: So what has been, I think anybody who, I think this is super important to know if you're thinking about starting a business, it is the most incredible, excruciating personal journey you could possibly imagine. That it's more than just providing an, a good service and putting structure in place and making money, that it is a if if you want like the ultimate boot camp of getting to know yourself, start a business because right. <laughs> you'll learn so much about yourself. So it's it's an excellent question. And it's a question that has been really circling my mind a, a lot lately of, you know, what is my definition of success? Because in in certain metrics, if I look at the design business. The, it is a success, but in other metrics, it isn't. There's other things that I feel like I could do better or I wanted to be better or expected more from at this point. During the hard times and, you know, going through the situation of having to file a suit to get to get paid and, and the ups and downs financially and the, you know, the soul crushing moments, literally standing in my kitchen, sobbing to my guy who is like, he's the perennial employee. He will always be an employee. That's how he thinks. And so it's incredibly difficult for him to be able to support me in, in those moments where I'm like, like, what kind of crazy am I to do this? (laughs) But he also knew that I had a dream and he knew that I was, um, very good at what I do, that my clients love working with me. Um, and that I had all the things that I needed to to do it if I could just stay on board and believe in yeah. myself. So yeah. it's, um, yeah, it, like okay. I said, there's, there's metrics where I could look at and say, yeah, the business is success. And there's other ones where I'm like, boy, I could have. Right, but, that, but that's there.
1: what we all face as small business owners, right? That's one of our big challenges. And part of it is that we, we compare ourselves to these unrealistic mm. other businesses or what we read about or the, what? Books are written about, and it's just unrealistic. And we need to appreciate and and give ourselves credit for the journey that we have been on and the small successes that we experience along the way. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, I want to ask you a few more tactical questions, and then and then we'll start to wrap it up. I want to understand a little bit more about what the business looks like. What does what your team look like? It's you and who else? Do you have employees? Do you have contractors? Do you have partners? What do you outsource? Tell me about what that looks like.
0: So in both businesses, it is primarily just me. Um, in my design business, there is a liability issue where I need to be very careful. So I'm not, I'm never subcontracting anybody through the design business because it doesn't follow through under my insurance.
1: Subcontracting anybody that would step onto somebody's property. Is that primarily the issue? Yeah. Okay.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, um,
1: but what about the back office type of stuff, the behind the scenes things?
0: So the back office things, I believe that now let me tell you, first of all, I hate bookkeeping. Can't stand it for the save my life, but understand the importance of A, doing it and B, understanding where my numbers are. Um, my my mom is an accountant, like I said, and has a natural knack for numbers. And I think she's like this crazy person why would you be excited about doing numbers? <laughs> but in doing the bookkeeping regularly for my business, it's given me an incredible insight into the in and outflow in my business. Right. It's only recently that I've, that I've brought on a bookkeeper um, to actually take care of it because I now have the second business, which is a corporation, which gets messy in the bookkeeping sense of things. Um, I have brought in or I've, or I've, um, not subcontracted but but high, or... yeah outsource certain tasks in the business depending on what it is the challenge i think that i've had for myself personally as a designer were notoriously Ornery about the details, <laughs> right. so I have a challenge. You know, outsourcing things. I tried three times. I tried outsourcing the website because you know I'm not a web builder. That's not. I'm not a graphic designer. That's not my my scope of work at all. Um, but they all went so sideways that the last time I actually just outsourced the SEO and I built the whole. I've built mm. all my websites on my own.
1: So you work from home. Tell me a little bit about how you. What, what happens for those of us who work from home, including myself, is there's no there's no delineation between work time and personal time and family time and household time. And you work extremely long hours. How do you manage and balance that?
0: So like I said, watching my parents, they, both of their businesses were built from home. Um, the farm, the trucking business, my mom's accounting business, all of them are built from home. So I actually got a really unique insight into bo- both avenues of it, both the avenues of where they worked all the time. And it was just this huge issue to try to get them to come and do anything. It was always working. They were always in the office late. And then later on, my mom in her accounting business did, a I think, a better job of structuring her time. Because I had seen that example of both sides of it when I started on my own, I wanted to be careful about structuring my time. One of the best things that I that I have had the benefit of having is that I have a separate office space. and originally it took for the first two years i will say that office space was there wasn't like a clear delineation yes Mm -hmm. it was where i worked but you know on top of building a business from home we also gutted and and renovated our entire house and we did it ourselves so for a few months we were literally i'd be in the office working all day while my guy was renovating things or i'd go out and help him if we needed to and then in the evening we would sit in my office because my computer had the best screen to watch Netflix. <laughs> and so for about, I think it was two or three months we were doing this. And, and I was like, I, I would get to the point where in the morning, I would dread going into my office. Cause I just felt like I was always in the space yeah. and I realized I needed to have some separation. And that's when I said to my guy, look, I know that it's nicer to watch it on my computer, but for my mental sanity and for me to be able to continue with enthusiasm in my work every day, I need to have, I need to be out of here. So I have office hours and I think it's incredibly important that we set specific hours. When you set the intention that you're working in that time, your mind already is getting ready for it. So I set the intention that I'm in my office at nine o'clock in the morning and Typically I end my day at five, but I sometimes don't get out of the office until six and that's okay. But literally at six o'clock, if I'm still in the office, that's it. And I shut everything down. I shut the lights off and I don't go back into the office until the next morning.
1: And you stick to that pretty, pretty regularly as much as possible, right there. I'm sure there are exceptions, but, but that's what you try to do every day.
0: Of course. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Interesting. That's a great technique. What advice do you have when you, when you do uh, give advice or counsel those people who are creatives about making sure that they also have to pay attention to the business side of things?
0: So the, the primary focus of a business is to make money. That does not mean that it's a soulless endeavor. And it does not mean that you can't intend to do good in your business. I didn't start my design business with the thought of, I'm going to make a million dollars. I started it with the thought of these clients aren't being served and I want to serve them in a way that actually would benefit them. But, but, but never, you
1: also needed to make a living, right?
0: Yeah. I never, ever went into it and said, well, you know, if I make money at this, great. I knew from the beginning that a business needed to make money. So all the aspects around that, as much as I hate doing bookkeeping, it is important for the the life of my business that I take care of those things. Um, other systems, so like, you know, systems I have in place for tracking my clients and 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 their work and their projects or tracking my time or um, marketing things like that those are systems as I'm a a naturally organized person I think most designers are so those are systems that sort of naturally come to me that I want to make sure I have like repeatable systems in place but when it comes to things that I really hate doing like the bookkeeping or like you know um following up on, on problems, things like that. Um, those are things that I just, I have to go, Amy, you're running a business. It's important for the health of your business to know and understand and do these things. I'm putting my head in the sand is not going to help yeah. so If I want the business to grow. If I want it to heck, if I want it to survive, I need to get into it. So do
1: you, do you block out like times of the day or times of the week to do mm-hmm. those things that are not fun or how do you approach that?
0: Yes, so, um, th- and I'll use bookkeeping as an example just because we've talked about it a couple of times. I played around with a few different times a day um, when might be best to do the bookkeeping, whether it was, you know, Monday mornings. I found out that I hated doing it Monday morning because what a terrible <laughs> way to start off my work week. Right,
1: right. They talk about setting the bad tone for the whole Yeah. <laughs> right?
0: So I played around with, um, you know, a few things. The other thing that I noticed if I got behind on it, if I didn't, you know, maintain Uh, my schedule for it. And in terms of staying on top of it, that if I didn't do my books for say a month, then I would be, I would be there for two, two and a half hours and then going, okay, what is this receipt from? And where did I put this? And how do I, how do I do this? So what I ultimately figured out with regards. So just for example, for the bookkeeping was that Friday afternoons, the last hour of the day was perfect because at that point I could like see the beer or the glass of wine. It's, It's right close It's the last thing that I need to do. And I just saw it as a way of sort of closing the chapter of that week.
1: Okay, But it is,
0: yeah, yeah, it's important to, the thing is, it took me a lot of years to figure out how to schedule my time and schedule my tasks. And I really struggled with it because I I knew that you're supposed to, and so many experts talk about, you know, schedule your time. You want to be intentional with your time and look i said well great but i don't know what to schedule (laughs) so i worked with the coach who basically she said it too i said if you show me what i'm supposed to do i will do it but i can't this i don't understand how to put this together and so she said book one hour time slots and just say like 9 a.m to 10 a.m marketing 10 a.m to 11 a.m um emails you know 11 to 12 is blog but she says even if you just because I said to her, I'm like, I don't know what to do for marketing. She's like, just do one thing in that hour. Yeah. Just do one thing. Don't yeah, look at it as, approach. yeah, like don't look at it as you need to do all these things, but just, okay, what one thing can I do? Cause it's, I know for myself, I'm sure most people have this idea that you need to do all these big things to just like, you know, launch this truck forward. Whereas all you really need to do is just inch the needle. Right. And so by blocking the time off in those one hour time blocks, because I had then another one set for the next hour, it also kept me out of being something that I hated for too long. That's right. And yeah. it kept things moving on all sides of it. So,
1: and, and, and that's the key. You want to leave that sometimes even the fun tasks wanting more, right? That's also the part mm-hmm. of it. In other words, I can, I can, I'm guilty of sometimes I'm doing something that I enjoy and I'll uh, look up and I've been doing it for four hours. And so you got you to gotta catch yourself on that. But yeah, time blocking is a great exercise. and and way to manage your time. Mm -hmm. All right, Amy, let's keep moving here. Um, Give me the brief summary, we touched on it, but the brief summary of what you offer today with your two businesses.
0: So what I really wanna offer actually is in in Dare to Begin, which is all about elevating entrepreneurs, new and, and struggling entrepreneurs, into being able to launch a powerful business so you can find i have lots of free content on my podcast you mentioned earlier dare to begin small and mighty you can find that on all of your podcast platforms but what i have specifically is a um, a little mini training that i've put together i call it the Launchpad, pad and the training is designed it's video training with pdf supports and it it focuses on helping you take in the design side of things and say okay let's create a little workspace because you're working from home and so you need to declare a space that you're working from and then let's bring some clients in right away. And I have a really cool exercise inside the training to help bring clients in right away, whether you're just starting and you have no clients at all, or you've had a couple clients on the way. So that training they can get at daretobegin.net forward slash the launch pad, all one word. And then there's a bonus in that training, which is my 10 steps to launch download. And I have a video walkthrough of that training again. And it literally takes you from like, okay, I have this idea of starting a business where do we go from here?
1: Fantastic. And if you didn't get that, we'll, we'll have a link to that on the show notes page for this episode as well. So you can find it there. Be sure to take advantage of that offer from Amy. All right, books. I'm always looking for a book recommendation. You mentioned the E-Myth. Is there another book that comes to mind that you would recommend?
0: There's two actually. So um, I think that entrepreneurialism is a huge internal pursuit. So I definitely recommend The Code of the Extraordinary Mind by Vision Lakhani. And I just read Atomic Habits. And let me just say real quick about Atomic Habits. I thought it was about things like stopping biting your fingernails. Mm
1: -hmm. It's
0: so much deeper than that. And it's incredible. So I highly recommend Atomic Habits.
1: Interesting. I'm not uh, not familiar with either of those. The E-Myth is is the top recommended book of everybody that have asked this question. But these are two new ones.
0: The funny thing is, I'm actually reading The E-Myth right now. I've never read it before. Yeah, (laughs) I'm reading it right now. Um, I would say from a business standpoint, yeah, it's a good book to start. But if you're already feeling like nervous and a little overwhelmed about the business, um, maybe try things like the Atomic Habits first and then get into the E-Myth because I think it can be a bit heavy and scary when you're first starting out.
1: Okay. Yeah. Great recommendation. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Amy, Um, what's one thing you want us to take away from this conversation that we've had?
0: The biggest thing I think to take away is to believe in yourself. You've been given this business idea for a reason. It will take everything you've got and then some, but despite that and no matter how hard it gets, you've got to just keep believing in yourself and keep moving the needle forward.
1: When you look back now, would you have liked to have started earlier with your own business? Or do you think that experience was necessary?
0: I don't think that I would have started earlier. There was a few life events that happened right around, um, which is sort of what launched the business. But I would have started differently. I would have in what I would have done differently instead of looking for the tactical training, I would have looked for the mindset training.
1: Okay, that sounds that makes sense. Mm-hmm. All right, tell us again where you want us to go online to find out more.
0: So you can find more, more information at daretobegin.net forward slash the launch pad for that free training.
1: Wonderful. Amy, this has been a great conversation. Thanks for being so honest and transparent about your journey. That's, that's what it's all about. That's what I learned the most from and, and our listeners appreciate so. So thanks for being here today and thanks for sharing.
0: You're so welcome. It's my pleasure.
1: This is Henry Lopez and thanks again for listening to this episode of the How of Business. My guest today again was Amy Van Miel. We release new episodes every Monday morning, and you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and at our website, thehowabusiness.com. And you can also always just text the word biz b i z to three one nine nine six, and I'll send you a reply text with the link to the show notes page for this episode.